Welcome to Ogilav Nanagus. Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologist Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody at www.storyarchaeology.com. Series 4 Rowing Around in Rama. Episode 13 In Search of Mither. Mither Dixit. A vey in, in regalin, a dear ningnad a vilrin, is bar sovaka fult an, is dath snechte kurk in. Is an nas be moi, not oi, gela daydan, dovavroi, is li sura, lean or slug, is dath shun an. Is Kurker Magia Kechwin? Is Lee Sula Ogalin? Give Queen Dakesha Magia Foil? Anna Irn the Noise Magia Moor. Give Queen Live Quirin Incha Foil? Is Meshka Quirin Tira Oar? Avra tira, tir asmur, ni teid oak and reshun. Shrutha teith vilsha tartir, rugga de vid agus in. Doini delknade ken on, cumbert ken feckad ken chul. Ad hiv koch for koch leth. Agus ni gamaka nech. Tevo imurvas odav. Dodan archail ar orav. Aven dirish mathuath tind. Is bar oir bias frut hind. Milvim lath levnacht lalind. Rud bialim and. Abbe in. Mither speaks. Fair lady, will you come with me to a wonderland of harmony? Hair shines with a primrose glow, bodies white and smooth as snow. There is neither mine nor yours, teeth bright white. Dark the brows, the eyes delight our populace. Each cheek bears a foxglove blush. The heathers bloom on every neck, eyes shine blue as blackbirds' eggs. Though you love to gaze on Ireland, it pales after visiting great land. Though sweet you deem your Irish beer, our mirthful mead is sweeter far. It is a wonder, truth be told, young do not die there before old. The land flows with streams, both warm and sweet, the best of wine, the choicest mead. Mark the flawless folk therein, conceiving without rape or sin. 
while we watch your people team, we walk among you, still unseen. Dark the tragedy of Eden that keeps our countless people hidden. Woman, join my noble folk. Your head shall bear a crown of gold. Pools of milk, mead, ale and wine we shall drink there. My bay end. Well, welcome back to what is effectively the second half of a very long episode. It would have been a very, very long episode. Exactly. We set off last time in search of Mananon, but we discovered that in order to really understand Mananon, we would have to go off and search for Mither as well. After all, Mither is the landlocked equivalent of Mananon. Yeah. Out there on his semi-mythical island. Exactly. Now, I love that beautiful poem that you, you opened with this this time. Yes. Yeah. Uh, let's talk more about that. Yeah, it's a, it's a gorgeous one and it is a bit of a favourite. Uh, it comes from a text that we know very, very well. well. <laughs> that is Tokfark Aidener, The Wooing of Aideen. We dedicated three whole episodes to it in the last series. And I think we're going to have to talk about it a little bit in this one as well. We are, yeah. I mean, the poem, it comes from the third part of the text, which is where Mither is once again wooing Aideen. It's his third wooing and he's trying to convince her to come away with him to this wondrous land. You know, it is really very similar to Mananan's description of his own land, yeah. the one that you find in Imrav Bran. Yeah, I mean, it's notable that in both bits of poetry, um, both Mananan and Mither say that their people are invisible unless they want to be seen. Yeah, they're there all the time exactly. around you, but you don't know they're there. Yeah, and in the Mananan poem from Imrav Bran, um, it's almost this feeling that the insubstantial surface of the sea that Bran sees around him is actually solid land as perceived by this other people. Yeah, and that's something you, you feel sometimes when you're looking at the dark colour of water or when you're on a plane and yeah. you feel that you look out of the window and you see all the cloud land with all its palaces. And yeah. You just want to jump on it. I know, it looks really soft and squishy. <laughs> just don't ever try it. Yeah, <laughs> bad idea. And, and of course, both lands are rich in resources, rich in beauty, health and food above all. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, they flow with the sort of proverbial old milk and honey. Yeah. And perhaps a good bit of roast pork. Yeah, well. yeah. <laughs> and sheep. Oh, God, sheep. yeah. Don't forget that. Well, they won't let us forget the sheep, will they? Um, I also think it's really important to point out how in both of these poems, they're really very insistent that this other world is free from original sin. They have nothing to do with that original fall of man. And in fact, in this Bay Finn poem, it's so specific that it seems to imply that that invisibility where yeah. the world of mortal people, if you like, can't see the other world people is because of that fall, fall of man that that has separated out humanity from this wondrous realm. Yeah, which is indigenous, if you yeah. like, an original. Mm -hmm. You know, there is there's so many implications in all that. Yeah. It deserves a whole podcast or at least an article on its yeah. own. We, you know, I, I could just talk about this one for ages, exactly. but it's just... No, we haven't time now. No, no, definitely not. We need to get on with this one. <laughs> well, in our last episode, In Search of Mananon, we found that Mananon 
seems to always come over the sea to mm-hmm. Ireland from his other world islands or even from real islands to the northeast like Kintyre and Isla and Man and so on but that he's always coming over the sea. Yeah and he definitely has no stronghold as such Yeah, on the mainland although occasionally he seems to get called in. Yeah like at the beginning of the Altrum Tigodov Eder that we found last time where he's we... called in to settle all of the uh, she mounds. Yeah in that somewhat weird later oh, God, story. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But Mither, on the other hand, is absolutely central to mainland Ireland. Yeah, very much at that literal centre, as we will find. So, what are we going to say about Mither? Well, I think before we get into that, uh, we really should ask our listeners, if you haven't listened to the previous episode, In Search of Man and On, this might be a good place to stop listening to this one, go back... Listen to that and then come back yeah, to us. Yeah, because they are two sides of the same coin. They are, and we were originally going to do it all in one episode. <laughs> but and it was so too long. <laughs> it was too much. So I think some of the things that we're going to discuss this time will seem a bit out of context or might be a bit difficult to follow unless you've heard all that we had to say about Man and On. Okay, right. so what can we say about Mither? Well, Mither certainly seems to satisfy the criteria for another world character that oh, we yeah. set out at the beginning of the last episode. Yeah, now if I remember it was what? That uh, other world characters can come and go and disappear at will. Yes. Yeah, you can do that. And that, that he can choose to appear in a sort of glamoured or disguised shape. Yeah. The not governed by time. No, certainly not. Have extra special Dinhianicus knowledge mm. or or prophetic ability or good judgment. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And all sort of has special abilities or even super feats. Absolutely, yeah. All of those things. Mither will tick all of those boxes. Yeah, he, he's certainly central and certainly more than a sidekick. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at what he does. He fosters, he teaches... He gives and holds treasures. Mm. He can shape the land. Yeah. Um, he, he has his hosts. Yeah. He has all sorts of superpowers. Exactly. And, and well, so I mean, on and so on and more. Yeah, exactly. But at the core, let's say, his name means a judge. And if he really is a judge in the sort of early Irish sense that we've become so familiar with, we should then find him as a watcher. Yeah. And as a conscience of kings, very do. particularly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, now, he's closely associated in his stories with the Dagda and even more closely with the son of the Dagda, Oingus Macandog, uh, who, of course, is yeah, he's the one he Mither's fosterling. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe what we should do is follow the text in which he appears, yeah. just as we did for Malanan. Yes. And the problem is that his main story yeah. is Mither and Lady, yes. of course. And we spent three whole <laughs> episodes on that story. Yeah. But... If we're going to talk about him at all, mm. we're going to have to reprise it briefly. Yeah. Right, well, the story of uh, Tuchvark Aidina begins with Mither taking Aideen as a new wife. But, oh dear, he's already got a wife, <laughs> Fumnok, and in a fit of what we see as righteous indignation, she turns this young upstart into a beautiful purple fly. Then Aideen the fly gets blown around Ireland for the best part of a thousand years. In a magical storm. In a magical storm. Until she lands on the rim of the cup of Aether's wife. Aether's wife drinks her, becomes pregnant, has a daughter, and what a surprise, she's also called Aideen. Right. And the rest of the story sort of tells how Mither woos the second Aideen and eventually wins her back from her husband, Yuckert. Yeah. 
Well, part of the way that Mither does this is by causing a lovesickness in Aideen's brother-in-law uh, so that Mither can then take the shape of this brother-in-law and sleep with Aideen and then convince her to leave her husband, Jochid, and come back away with him to his land of promise. And, of course, there's all the tests. Yes. The official game, which causes Mither to go away and construct the um, roadway at Corley, which actually exists. Yes, exactly. And then finally, uh, Mither manages to grab Aideen and escape with her from out of a locked, a guarded court. They fly back off to Breleth and they sort of live happily ever after, except when they don't. <laughs> and that, I think, is the one minute epic. Yes. Now, the other obvious difference between these two stories is the status of Mither. In Tuckfork Agena, he is certainly a powerful local lord, but he has this kind of equal status yes. to the Dagda. Yeah. He is in no way an overlord. There's no hint of the kind of feudalism, yeah. that Norman system that we met in the Altrin. It was horrible. It was really, really awful. And certainly, and thankfully, no <laughs> Christian apologia from Mither. In fact, Tuckfork Agena really supports the older... Irish socio-legal system all the way through and it feels like a much earlier story altogether. And there's no mucking up of the fostering system oh, either, no. which horrified us in oh, the other story. That was just the destruction of the world as far as we are concerned. That was a Norman invasion. Oh, absolutely. But there is a part of the story we ought to discuss more fully, I oh. think, and that's the opening. Yeah, and now this is pretty much a direct mirror to the opening of Altrim Thigathal Vedder, which we discussed last time. It does have a different feeling to it. Oh, it that. really does. I mean, Oingus is fostered by Mither, not Mananar. Yeah. And yet when he grows up, he, he takes possession of the Brunaboyne from Elkvar. But as we said before when discussing Altrim Thigathal Vedder, Oingus does get the brew through a sort of legal trickery um, and... In Tuckfork Agena, it's this wonderful story about how he takes possession of the brew for a day and a night and then afterwards says, well, all time is made up of days and nights and so I have the brew for eternity. Yeah, well, that's legal trickery. Mm. That's the sophistry of yeah. it. But it, it's not a magic spell yeah. as it is with the Mananan story. Yeah, exactly. And, and the really important difference is that Elkvar isn't summarily evicted and mm. left landless and with no status. Yeah. No, he's given a holding of equal magnificence. Yeah. nearby that's a totally different story it really is well that I think is the best known story about Mither oh yeah but there there must be others well there's not as many as we would like um, he does make a pretty re reasonable showing in the Dynianicus in the magical Dynianicus but the couple of prose stories there are about him are really very interesting and the first of these is a great one which is usually called the guesting of Athenia but has also been translated I think more appropriately as <laughs> Athenia the unsociable yeah no I hadn't come across this story until you brought it to my attention yeah but i really like it it's a great story it is, it's a gem so it starts off with athernia who is well known as a satirist but in this story is also incredibly mean and because he doesn't want anyone coming knocking <laughs> on his door and expecting to be fed and watered he heads off to breleth to mithers of breleth and he takes away what are termed the cranes as mm. in the bird crane rather than a you know jcb type crane <laughs> the cranes of in hospitality, essentially, and he brings them back to his own place so that 
people won't come knocking on his door. Yeah, and it's so good because, yeah. I mean, he puts them outside his door and the cranes talk at anybody who comes past. Yeah. Like, You're not coming in, said the first crane, or get out of here, said its companion. Keep walking, said the third <laughs> yeah. crane. I just love that. That's brilliant. <laughs> now, also, presumably, to prevent being asked for things <clears throat> that Athena didn't want to part with, he would never eat anywhere that he could be seen. He would always secrete... In case he was asked to share. Exactly. So he would always sort of run off and hide with his food. So Athena was just settling down to eat this whole pig and drink this whole wineskin all by himself when he sees a man, a strange man, coming towards yeah, him. Yeah, the man comes right up to him and goes... You're going to eat that whole pig by yourself and grabs the pig and the bottle away from him. Yeah. Which doesn't please us, you? No, it doesn't. And of course, him being a satirist, he's thinking about what can he do to get his precious food and wine back. And so he asks this stranger for his name. But the name that this man gives is very obscure and archaic and very deliberately so. So the man says, oh, my name, is, it's not well known. My name is Shether, Ether. Author Shella Della Drengerke Makgerke Ger Ger Dir Dir. Atherna is completely stumped and can't make a satire on that weird name, and so he doesn't get his pig and his wineskin back. <laughs> oh, it's a, it's. A, I just think it's a delightful story. Yeah. Now, Mither's not named, but I'm pretty sure it's him in disguise, isn't it? Well, I mean, for a start, it's this whole thing. It starts in Breleth with mm. Mither, but when we start to look at this obscure name, it actually really gives it away. I mean, it starts off Shether Ether, which it could mean the wind that blows a ferry boat it could mean a wandering herdsman or a sister eloper now that kind of applies doesn't it (laughs) doesn't it then we've got author is either the work or the wage that's due and that is absolutely central to a man whose name means judge exactly but also is very much about the tasks that he does for Yuckard at the end of Mither and Aideen where it's all about what is owed is due yeah yeah that's his phrase what is owed is due exactly yes Mither's catchphrase it is yeah it sums him up Shella is that's another interesting one because it could mean sort of like a turn in a game. So, which you refers know, back to the official game, the which is game. central. Yeah. Or to a particular practice of kind of alternating sovereignty, where there are two leaders who kind of swap in and out of the role at a regular interval. And, of course, you also have the king and his judge. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So that's all in there. Della can mean, let's say, affectionate. or But, again, affectionate meaning propriety as well. Mm. You know, proper affection, proper loyalty. Yeah, Right judgment. Yeah, absolutely. Now, the next couple of lines are a bit more fun. Uh, Dreng Gerke. Uh, Gerk is probably a grouse, but it's some kind of heath-dwelling <laughs> bird. And Dreng can mean quarrelsome. It can also mean quick. So a quick or quarrelsome grouse. Then he's Mac Gerke. He's the, the son. son of the grouse. Yeah, exactly. A quick and quarrelsome son of the grouse. Yeah. Uh, not directly applicable, but no, not it's that quite we know fun, of. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Now, the next line just, I have no idea what it means. Gerker, so far as I can make out, means sharp lard. <laughs> That's a bit obscure. That is even too obscure for me. But the last line absolutely seals it. Dear, dear is proper due. 
That's what is owed. What is, is due. owed is due. Yeah. So he's saying his name. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Now that is great because mm. and names are so important. Mm. I mean, uh, is this why the Ken and the Kathanok Quail Reevenok keeps offering these strange names? So that he can't be satirized, possibly. You know, so that every place that he goes to, they can make a satire on his name, but it won't stick. He can't be caught. Yeah. And I know this turns up in folklore all the time. Oh, it does. It? I mean, names make you can make you invulnerable yeah. if you choose the right name. Yeah. You are protected by your name because knowing a name gives power. Yeah. yeah. And just think of the well-known folktale of Rumpelstiltskin. Yeah. You know, an unguessable name keeps you safe. Exactly. And maybe it's it's part of that is keeping you safe from satire. You know? I think it is. Yeah. I mean, this is something that's been forgotten. Yeah. Yeah. That that you are your name is something you cannot give away mm. because it can allow you to be badly spoken of. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. But I mean, there's so much in common with this little passage, and particularly the giving of the name, as you said when we were yeah. telling it, the Dagda with Indek's daughter. Now, in that case, Indek's daughter was good enough to get the name. She did, didn't she? So she managed to get Dagda to do what she wanted him to. She had the power, but fortunately, she wanted to join in on his side. Yeah, yeah. But even so, you've got that wonderful thing about the axe at the foot of the tree. Yes. Yeah, Yeah, and it's a wonderful battle between two poets. Yes, yeah. I love that, but we we can't go back to that now. (laughs) Well, there's there's one more story in which Mither is involved that we ought to look at, and that's the wooing of Trevlin. Yeah, now this one comes from the Book of Fromoy, which, as we've seen before, is a 14th century, late middle, early modern Irish. The last story we looked at about Athenia, that was Book of Leinster. So it was earlier. Yeah, that's a 12th century manuscript, although, as we know, has many earlier stories. So we're dealing in the same territory as Mungan and Dovlaka yeah. with the wooing of Trevlin. And a lot of the fun stuff is Yeah, exactly. They're, they're certainly the most bawdy and yeah. interesting stories. Yeah. Let me think. Froik, whose name means heather or heathland. Now, he's a Dodovnan and a Dodonan. Yes. Now, wasn't Indeik the leader of the Fovera Dodovnan? Yeah, but as we found out when we went through the story of Maitura, you know, the Dodovnan, Dodanan, Fovera, they're all very closely related. It's just branches of a family, really. Well, anyway, Froik, let's go back to him. He was supposed to be so beautiful (laughs) and so brave that Mm. every princess who saw him fell madly in love with him. Of course. And his lovers were so numerous that he... Well, actually, I was going to say he couldn't be bothered to get married. But actually, it says it's so that it was too difficult to choose. Yes. And it took 12 years as head of his household and he still wasn't married. Yeah. And this was a terrible thing. In of days. course, yeah. Now, I love the bit where Bowen warned Bevin, his mother, mm-hmm. that if uh, that her son really should get married, and she goes, look, he's got to marry a woman this year. Any woman, I don't care who she is, because if he doesn't get married this year, he'll die. Yeah. <laughs> Which I'm sure a lot of men... She also gives a lot of other advice, like, oh, and while you're about it, make sure he doesn't fight Cahoolan, because yes. if he does, he'll die. Yes. And what's more, don't go swimming in black water between Samhain and Bieltana, because yep. it won't be good for his health. Yes. Oh, and don't give his we- weapons away as a pledge to anyone. Yeah. That was stupid. <laughs> this is such obvious advice. I know, but it's got the structure of Gesha, <laughs> but the, it really is terribly common sense, isn't it? Oh, it sounds to me like grandmothers. Yeah, you know? yeah. I remember my grandmother used to say, oh, now you can't go out in that dress, you'll get pleurisy under the armpits yes. and things like that yes. and it's very much that sort of common sense don't fight a hole yes. now will you be a good boy 
boy. Well, exactly. It was more like, oh, it would be terribly bad luck if you ever fought Cuchel. And yeah, terribly bad luck to get <laughs> thumped what, around Don't go swimming yeah. in black water in, in the winter. middle of winter. Yeah, yeah. Also, right. yeah. <laughs> so I think it's great. Yeah. So, you know, advice for the, you know, a word to the wise. Yeah. Don't swim in the winter. Don't fight the strongest warrior in the land. And while you're about it, don't, don't give, give weapons away. away. Yeah. <laughs> Enough of that. Anyway, Trevlin... Whose name means inhabited land or culture right, land. Well, well, she falls madly in love with him, along with all the other women. Of course. Now, she was a granddaughter of Oingus himself. Which means that she's a great-granddaughter of Bowen, who has just given this very common-sensical advice. So they're quite closely related <laughs> yeah, in many ways. Yeah. Now, she was also fostered by the King of Tara. Yeah, who in this story is Carbon the Affair. Uh, Macrossa. Now, he has the say as to whether she can marry or not. Exactly. father. And he thinks that Trevlin could do a bit better than Freud. Yeah. So he turns him down. Mm. This puts Trevlin in a total spin. So she sends a message to Freud at Crookham. Yes. That actually, if he likes, she'd be quite willing to elope with him. Yes. Now, Trevlin sends a messenger who's called Lagich over to Kruachan, where Froich is staying, in mm. order to say that she is ready to elope with him. And there's this nice kind of description about how the messenger is approaching Kruachan and the people of Kruachan are all busy playing some kind of ball game, possibly hurling, you know. Um, but that when they see this messenger approach, they all want to throw their balls at him. <laughs> um, which is obviously some version of hurling that's currently disallowed by the GAA. And they say it's because the messenger Lagach is wearing this sort of grey cloak and a drab coloured tunic. And so they obviously think he's some kind of a hobo. But he is also carrying some kind of a rod. And that seems to show that he is a messenger to speak specifically to Freud. He is recognised as such and brought in and he manages to deliver yeah, so his they, message. They had obviously missed it. Exactly, yeah, from a up. distance. All they saw was grey and then realised But it's mistake. a really interesting detail. Mm. Talking about this rod which yeah. the messengers seem to carry mm. and which is obviously very important because it keeps being mentioned. Yes, it does. So and you're it's... diplomat if you carry this. Exactly, so. yeah, yeah. It's, it's that passport again. So anyway, Freud ups the ante as it were and offers 400 chariots to fight for the king. Mm. Now this sounds Sounds a bit complicated, but I think what it means is that basically he's upping his suit. And exactly, he's saying, yeah. if you let me have Trevlin, yes. I'll offer you the use of 400 chariots, yeah. which is like a small army. Exactly, yeah. yeah. It's um, offering military support in exchange for a, for a wife. Really. But at the same time, he's hedging his bets yeah. and sends a message to Trevlin going, if this doesn't work, we're off. Yes. <laughs> now... At Kruken, Freud also mentions to his pals Maeve, Alil and Fergus how Carver has been treating him and how he's been turned down with his initial offer. And they get terribly indignant on his behalf. They demand revenge and are basically off on a war path. Yeah, that sounds quite typical of Doesn't that. it? Yeah, they yeah. don't need much of an excuse. They never do, do they? No. <laughs> and of course, all Freud's friends offer to support him yeah. and act as messages and go and get Trevlin. So yeah. basically, there's a large group of them all planning to go and get Trevlin for him yeah. so get her safe yeah. and out of the way. So the elopements are going ahead. Yeah. I love their names. They were names like Darkness, Son of Holly. Yes, all terribly allegorical. And once again, they're said to be carrying these diplomatic rods. And, you know, we did come across this before, such as when we were talking about the Loggerpun, where mm. um, the Loggerpun poet dressed himself up and he carries this silver rod, which just sounds so like the apple branch. Yeah, this passport into another kingdom. I think that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It is a symbolic item that you carry 
which mm. allows you to pass the border. Exactly. Whether it's the border to the other world or mm. border to somebody else's kingdom. Exactly. There's no proof, but it does seem likely. It does. And again, as, as we've said before, it was the poets who acted as diplomats. And so they were the ones crossing from one territory to another. So if someone is a messenger, they may well be a low-grade poet. Mm-hmm. And of course, what I like this time is they go by Leitrim. Of course. <laughs> and it's actually, you know, this is a, a sort of late middle, early modern mm. Irish because Leitrim doesn't get mentioned very much. Not with the name Leitrim. Not with the name Leitrim. No, it tends to be my lurg in yes. the earlier stories. Yeah, but every now and then, it's Leitrim. <laughs> so Trevlin recognises these diplomatic rods and whatever the symbols are that they're carrying. She recognises that this is Freud's people and she heads off with them to go meet him in the wilds of the Midlands. <laughs> Mind you, he's ready. Yeah. And it says he's really buffed up his armour. Yeah. He's got his best gear on and he's really shined everything up. When she sees him, she goes, oh, he's as fine as gold. <laughs> Which, I'm Which sure... is a bit unfair. Really, I know, I know, it is. But I'm sure it's meant as a compliment to all concerned. But when Carbra discovers that his foster daughter has scarpered and he knows exactly where she's gone to he gets annoyed and he starts gathering an army basically to go off and get her back but Carver's son Eric kind of speaks sense to him and says look you know this is only a small force there's no need to go to war a troop of 400 should be enough to go and get And interestingly enough, that's the same number. The same number as Freud had promised. So it's sort of fair. Exactly. And he's going, you know what, you know, this is a a hammer to crack a nut. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Just a small group of people, just, you know, Proportionate response is what it is. Come on. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it doesn't work, does it? No, because they are soundly beaten. So after they have seen off uh, Carbra's forces, Froich returns to Kruokan with Trevlin and then he brings her back to his own territory and they are presumed as husband and wife at this point. Yeah, but we haven't reached a sort of happily ever after because no. this weird story, it suddenly takes like a change of key. It almost turns into a sort of European folk story. Yeah, yeah. And something really strange happens because Freud suddenly has to leave the country to retrieve his son and cattle that for some reason have crossed the Alps. <laughs> yep. As you do. <laughs> I don't know, yeah. I have to leave the country. My, My cows have crossed the Alps. <laughs> You're expecting elephants and things at this point, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. There's no explanation yeah. about why. It's just the story has moved. It's moved into a different story, yeah, really. Yeah, yeah. And before he leaves, he has to protect Trevlin. Mm. So he puts Trevlin... And, this is interesting, his lifestone mm. into the care of Don, son of the doctor. Yeah. Now, the lifestone is particularly interesting. Yeah, and um, lifestone is the most literal translation that we can come up with. But it seems to be some kind of means by which Trevlin can tell whether Freud is alive or dead from a distance. It's... The stone, as long as it remains whole, yeah. or it doesn't change. Yeah. She she knows that he is safe. Anyway, while he's gone off on his trip over the Alps, yeah. Cabra, he appoints Mither, or asks Mither, of uh, Brilef, our Mither, yeah. to go and deal with Freud. Yeah. And Mither agrees. Mm. So he takes one of his troop, whose name, rather lovelily, is Trieth McFoyver, which means kind of one third, as in one over three, uh, the son of the blade. But anyway, he goes to Dunn's Island posing as a, oh, he says he's a suitor for Trevlin. Yes. Well, Dunn keeps going. He says, hang on, you can't do that. She's mm. already the wife of a living man. Mm-hmm. You can't possibly ask for a hand. But Mither then turns around and goes, no, 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 he perfectly can, because don't you know? Uh, Frog's dead. Mm. He was killed by the Lombards somewhere <laughs> on the Alps. Yeah. 
Now, of course, uh, Trevlin says, no, I can prove he's alive. And off she goes to get this life stone, which seems to be in a box or some kind of container. But before she can open it, Mither utters a word over his spear and he strikes the container that holds the life stone so that when Trevlin opens it, it looks as if it's broken. So now she believes that he's told the truth and that Freud is dead. And she takes herself off to Fertanenengene, which is just the tumulus of the girl. And she dies of grief. Over the death of her husband. Yeah. So we're seeing a different side to Mither. Absolutely. Well, once again, we should have reached the end of the story. (laughs) But But we haven't. (laughs) Obviously, when Freud gets back from the Alps, he's pretty annoyed. Yes. And especially when he meets Trevlin's messenger and hears what happens, he's absolutely horrified. And off he goes to Mither to have it out with him. Mm. And of course, he demands, he demands reparation. And what he demands is he wants to see the blood of Mither on his spear, which Which is quite understandable. Yes, A fine for his wife. Again, perfectly appropriate to get the full body fine for a murder. Yeah. And this last one, the promise that he can have her back. Yeah. Now, that is unexpected. It's unexpected for us, but it doesn't seem to cause Mither any problems. No, and it doesn't. This is something that Freud can ask. Yeah, yeah. And this is the quality of this particular story. Yeah. It's just taken for granted. Mm, mm. Now, the first thing is Mither doesn't want to fight Freud. Well, no, <laughs> understandably. He's proved himself to be a formidable enemy. Yeah. And neither does anyone else. <laughs> and Mither offers a fortune to any champion who will actually stand up to Freud. Yeah, and they do find one who is unsurprisingly named Arnger MacAgarnaved, <laughs> which is sharp weapons, son of the fierce enemy. It's not surprising he steps up for a fight. <laughs> But now the story doesn't stop throwing things at us because it now turns into a sort of proto-Hamlet. <laughs> yeah. Trevlin's great-grandmother, who is, of course, Bowen, Bowen. she secretly gives Freud poison, mm. which he has to dip his weapons into. Yeah. Now, she does. this is he does better than Hamlet because mm. she also gives him protective clothing, which nobody thought to offer to Hamlet. No, or even Laertes. Or Laertes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it should have been Laertes. Sorry. I know. Well, Not Hamlet, Laertes. Yeah. Well, they all should have been wearing some protective clothing. But anyway, uh, one of the things I quite like in this detail is that this poison that Bowen gives to Froik is... Which could mean a poison spell, as in a spoken spell, but it could in some ways be poisoned milk. That would be apt for Bowen. Wouldn't it? And, and also, also you can dip your weapons into that. Yeah. You can't dip your weapon into words. No, a gift from Bowen, a yeah. poison, would be poisoned milk. Wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, anyway, he wins, wins the battle. Of Freud course. wins and that's it. Yeah. And after that, eventually, Mither sends Nechton to Freud with the fine that yes. he's promised. And it turns out to be loads of 50s, as it always of is. Of course. There are 50 horses of the same colour, mm-hmm. uh, 50 chariots. Each 50... one worth a couple. Oh, yes, of course. 50 white shields, mm. 50 green coats with silver bracelets. Naturally. 50 swords with handles of gold mm-hmm. and 50 excellent spears. Yes. And the last thing is Trevlin. Mm-hmm. accompanied by eight maidens who all look exactly like her. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Well, there is one last comment in the text which is worth noting, and that is it says that in the end, when Froich finally is killed by Cúchalan... So he hadn't listened to his... Well, didn't listen to his granny, yeah. No. So but when he finally dies, it is Trevlin who brings him into the she after death. So whether she is transformed, mm. so becomes she, mm. or is she, she now has the right of entrance. Yeah, yeah, and yes. can bring him in too. Yeah, like, and, like Aideen. Isn't it? And or Bavind. Mm-hmm. 
Now, I think it really is worth pointing out how little separation there is in this story between, if you like, the mortal world and the other world. They're just constantly intermixed. Yeah, I mean, Frank is the Donnan, but he's not of the Shi. Yeah. Uh, Trevlin seemingly is of the Shi, or at least becomes mm. so. Then you've got, I mean, she's closely related to... Oh, all the members of the family of the Boyne, the Oinguses and the Bowens and all of that. Who are definitely of but, the she world. Yeah. Now, the human king calls on the immortal mither for revenge, mm. and he fails. Yes, yeah. And then Froik is taken into the she after death. Yeah, it's yeah. It's really interesting. It is, and it's it's not unusual to get so much of this mixing. But what I think is interesting is that hint that in this 14th century tale, the she is beginning to be seen as a sort of afterlife. Yeah, we also picked that up in Tyg. Yes, yeah, we did. Um, Tyg, again, could go mm. back to his immortal isle. Yeah, after, after his death. death yeah. Oh, and his death was in uh, the Brunaboyne, or near yeah. the Brunaboyne, the yeah. Boyne Valley, in the mortal world. Yeah, yeah. So, and that's also about the same date, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. Now, I do love all these allegorical names that came up all the way through there. But, I mean, even main characters of the story itself, you've got... Froik, who is this heathland, this wilderness, who is wooed by Trevlin, this cultivated, inhabited land. So it's this coming together of the two of those, parts of the land. Exactly, and I think that that's significant in itself, as well as all of our wonderful darkness, son of holly, and our fierce, sharp weapons, the son of the fierce enemy. But that at the or heart the third, of this story, son, third yes, past the blade, or, yeah, yeah, all that stuff. But it is at root, I think, about these very kind of allegorical forces. Now, the lifestone. I think mm. we need to come back to the lifestone. Yeah. Because it's obviously some sort of phylactery. Yeah, which is sort of an external heart storage, isn't it? Yeah, it's an external <laughs> in which you keep your life force separate yeah. from you. Yes. I mean, it's not an unfamiliar motif in European folklore. Yeah, but um, we don't like find... the dragon's heart. Or yes, the... yeah. We did find in one of the Imrova, we found a cup. In fact, it was Tig again. Yeah. Had a cup that, as long as it was whole, he would stay alive. Yeah. What I do know is the earliest version of this mm. comes from ancient Egypt. Yes. But there is absolutely no link, no, direct no link no... between ancient Egypt and our Irish stories. No. But it has that, that that motive has continued on. Mm. But you're right, it's not often found in Irish folklore. No, and not in the earlier ones. But it, it, again, it's interesting that we've got the comparison between uh, Trevlin and Tyke. Mm. You know, there seems mm. to be a couple of motifs that they share. Mm, they do, definitely. Yeah. Now, we've got a bit of a problem with the Dons. There's too many Too many. <laughs> too many Dons. In this story, uh, we have Don, who is a son of the Dagda, looking after Trevlin and Froik's lifestyle. Yeah, he lives on an island, it's mentioned. Yes, he's definitely on an island. There is another story which gives a Don as a son of Mither, and we're going to come back to that in a while. But there's also then the Don, who's one of the sons of Mill, who, That's in the, in the Levergavola, are coming towards Ireland, and before it they even land in Ireland. Don dies off the Cork coast and um, there's an island there that's named for him. So there's all these different Duns. What I think is kind of interesting is that Dun, even in modern Irish, means brown, but it's very particularly the colour of earth and clay. Mm -hmm. And so you've got Dun of this kind of earth and clay, and then you've got the Dovnan and Dovnu, which you also get down around that southwest corner of this depth. Mm -hmm. And so I think that, in a way, what Dun is about is the sort of underground 
clay mm. and depth. Which is probably why the Isle off the coast off the coast of Cork, which is Tecton still, the House of Don, is in very modern folklore has mm. been regarded as an Isle of the Dead. Yes, yeah. but that's not ancient. No, and the very kind of modern neo-pagan interpretation would be to see Don as a god of the dead, which is not that. Well, no, because we've just got at least three Dons. <laughs> But there is there there's an affinity, let's say. We've got enough for a university here. <laughs> Sorry, I couldn't resist. You just as well I didn't start talking about Wimbledon and yes, football. Yes, thank you. Too thank many you. dons there as well. Yes, thank you. <laughs> Not that I know anything about football except Wimbledon. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, to get back to our story. <laughs> Yeah, well, that's the other thing. You've got what we've got here is another Mither and Aideen story, surely. Yeah, yeah. I mean, here we have Trevlin who has to kind of die and come back before she can be properly united. And with maybe Freud. maybe that's why it's taken for granted. Mm. Because if Aideen can come back yeah. again, so can Trevlin. Yeah, yeah. You've got Trevlin as inhabited land. Yeah. But all as we know, all the F flus and Aideen, yeah. they're all about seeds. They are, yes. Yeah. The kernel, the nut, that yeah. which is planted and regrow. Mm. So I think possibly we've got a, a different version of exactly. the same story. Or here. a development or not exactly a development but a memory, yeah. a recasting. A retelling. Yeah. Remembering yeah. motifs. As mm. we, we see over and over again there are certain motifs that get yeah. remembered yeah. and the other one that's got remembered in this story of course is duplication of yeah. Aideen's or the duplication of Trevlin's. Yeah, yeah. Now in this story Trevlin sort of shows up with eight copies of herself if so you like nine. So that makes nine of them 18 shows up with 49 copies Which and that makes, makes 50, 50 now total. that makes sense as we've yeah. seen over and over again 50 is a number of completeness yes if yeah. you want enough of something mm. if you want the right number the yeah. full number it's, it's going to be 50, 50 yeah. as in her fine yeah yeah exactly but I think later on it seems to be nine is a more modern yeah. number of completeness yeah yeah nothing to do with numerous, numerology, numerology. No. no it's just the way numbers get used yeah no there's a great quote from, from Sam Harris, which says that numerology is where the intellect goes to die. So <laughs> that doesn't stop numbers having, having a significance. significance. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I had to just get that in there. Well, we've looked now at both Mananon and Mither, but separately in their own stories. Um, I think it's time that we compared them really directly. Yeah, because things are sort of looking a bit strange, really, yeah. aren't they? We've already said that. Mananan never ever had a stronghold on the mainland of Ireland. Yeah. He doesn't have a specific home. Exactly. And in contrast, Mither has several. Uh, most notably, of course, he's associated with Breleth in Longford. Um, but he is also often associated with Sleeve Naman down in Tipperary, mm -hmm. also called Shi'ar Fevan. And indeed, sometimes with the Shi'at Trim. So mm -hmm. he's got several and they're very much in the land and sometimes in the heart of the land. I was thinking about Mananan. He he isn't often the protagonist of the story. Mm. He tends to affect the story for other people, except a prophecy about Mongol. Mm -hmm. And even then, its main story is about the prophecy. Yeah, and not about the act itself. No, which we only hear was energetic. We yes. hear much more than that. <laughs> exactly. Whereas Mither does definitely take an active part. He is the protagonist, after all. 
particularly Mither and Aideen. And I mean, he does go to extraordinary lengths and in order to woo Aideen. He seems to have a real personal involvement oh, in suffers. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, you don't feel that Mananan is ever doing that? No, no. And of course, with Mither and Aideen, it's nothing to do with, you know, fathering a child no, or founding a dynasty. You know, <laughs> no, they're very no, different no. in that sense. Well, although we have to say that Mananan deliberately didn't found exactly, a dynasty. Exactly, yeah. And it seems that neither of them are allowed to be the founder of, of a, a line. specific line. Yeah, exactly. That's something that seems to be true of both of them. Yeah, yeah. Well, Mither, as we saw with this name meaning a judge, he is fundamentally about judgment, but also fair distribution. And we have that phrase again and again. Catchphrase. Yeah, at the end of Mither and Aideen, what is owed is due. And that seems really central. And of course, we've also seen the other lovely story about Athenia. Yeah. He tries to get away from the duty of hospitality Mm. and Mither turns up and makes it impossible. Yeah. On the other hand, Mananon... He's always got a bit of an agenda. He intervenes in the lives of others for a specific purpose. I mean, the fathering of this wonder child, that's a very specific mission, and he deliberately sets out to do yeah, that. Yeah, and I keep wondering about even some of the other stories where he rescues Fekna from the venomous sheep. Yes. Or even from the great warrior in, yeah. the, in the earliest version. Yeah. But is he setting up this situation? Yeah. I keep getting the feeling that, yes, okay, he can save him a venomous sheep, but he yeah. probably let the venomous sheep out in the first place. Exactly. He was probably the one who set the warrior. Yeah. You and feel he, so he conveniently has these venomous hounds who just happen to be able to it's defeat the venomous sheep. It's convenient, isn't it? <laughs> isn't it? Now, there's no proof. But this no. is just a feeling yeah. you get when you're talking about it. Yeah. That he's setting up situations. To, he doesn't judge, he tests. Yeah. Yeah. I think this is what's going on. He's mm. testing people to see what they will do. Mm. Whereas uh, Mither is very much about the judgment and um, not the testing, but mm. the judging. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking for the right word. Yeah, well, again, it's this proper distribution that everyone fairness. gets their share of fairness. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fair share. I suppose, thinking about it, the problem is that apart from Imrov Brahm, mm. we've got very little early... Man and our material, yeah, and uh, there's nothing in a way as complete uh, a, an epic tale, yeah, as Aiden and Mother, yeah, yeah. And I mean, what we've also found over and over again is that what we do have about Man and On, a lot of it is really shockingly late, yeah. We think there's a lot, but when mm. you come to analyze it, it sort of vanishes like yeah. magic myth. <laughs> Now, interestingly, we haven't looked at the poem itself, but the Dynianicus Ombre left. Well, we haven't looked at it in this... Yeah, we haven't looked at it here. But in that, Mither is actually given the epithet or the patronymic of Mac Indri, which means great-grandson, son of the grandson. And this is the same patronymic as we find with characters like Balor and with Nades and a lot of those really old strata, if you like. Uh, so he comes from the very oldest of the old families. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the name itself seems to indicate just sheer oldness, if you like, or, you know, that it is part of an original He feels strain. like an indigenous character. He really does. I, I, I've always felt this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it's always bothered me. Yeah, yeah. But there he is. Now you've given me the information that I needed to go, yes, he is yeah. of that old, oldest old strand. Exactly. And not only that, but in the Dynianicus on Evwin Macha, he's given us the father of Macha. In the yeah. poem where she's also named as Grian, the son of womankind. She is daughter of Mither. So really getting back to the almost archetypal exactly. figures here. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And on the other hand, Mananon, he's always Maclear. He's always Mananon Maclear. And sometimes, in fact, in like modern commentaries, you'll see him referred to just as Maclear. Lear, 
he doesn't really appear as a character in his own right, but we've found that with ancestor figures mm-hmm. before. But the only other kind of consistent mock Lear uh, is the children of Lear. Mm-hmm. And that is also very late story. That's so, uh, one of the classic baptism and death stories. I know, and there are no other connections with the Mac Lear as no, an ancestor. No, um, there was something you said just a bit earlier about the that I keep thinking of about the Maca story. Yeah. Now you were saying in one version she is the daughter of Mither. Yeah. I mean that's a story about a king's bad judgment. Oh God! If yeah. ever there was one. Oh yeah. Absolutely. So it's connecting Mither again, mm. very clearly with the most important travesties of. Of justice, yeah. And justice. Yeah. And the justice is, you know, the injustice is done to his daughter. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that's why he's associated as her father. Yeah, yeah. Because it is a prime story of bad judgment. It really is, yeah. Yeah, no, it's 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 really interesting. Yeah. Actually, even the alternate uh, Dinyanika son Evan Maka, which is about the Maka who has to try and get the land from her brothers, the sons of Dithirva, mm-hmm. in that the land has been unfairly distributed. Mm-hmm. And so Maka has to use her cloak pin to lay out the land that she is going to get. Yeah, now I must admit we didn't pick up on this mm-hmm. when we were talking about Maka. Mm-hmm. But it really does look as though the Mither is the archetypal judge. Yeah, yeah. He is the original indigenous judge. Yeah. And yet he's also king of the Shi, yeah. which after all the work we've done on Mongan yeah. and Malanam, we can now see that this this is the poetic link, the judge yeah. and the poet, yeah. who we know are absolutely central. Yeah. That connection between this world and other worlds yeah. depends on on the, 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 the poet judge. Yeah, yeah, it really does. And Mither is actually the archetypal poet judge. Mm. I'm sorry, I'm getting quite excited I know, about yeah. <laughs> Because I always felt that he was more important. Yeah. And suddenly, as we've looked at Malanan, yeah. he is the one who's emerged out of the mist. Yes, yeah. It gives me shivers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Remember that story that I like so much? Cormac's <laughs> Cup. Yeah. Right. Always been one of my favourite stories and how he goes to see Malanan and gets the apple branch and the cup of truth. Yeah. Right. I'm now beginning to wonder if that story is actually about Malanal at all. Yeah. I'm beginning to wonder that he gets a cup of judgment, good judgment, mm. from Mither. Mm. And there is a problem. Yeah. See, in the story, it's always bothered me that he vanishes in a mist. Yeah. And what's more, he, he never goes near the sea at all. Yeah. When I looked at the way I told that story yes. for years, I realised I'd put him going over the sea yeah. on the back of the horse as yeah. part of my story. Yeah. And it's not there. It really isn't. And I mean, it's not only that he disappears in a mist, but that he disappears in the Midlands. I know, in the you province know, of Meath. In the province of Meath. And there's at least one poem where Mither is described as the Lord of Mither. So Cormac goes out... And disappears in Mither's magic mist, yeah. which he, he uses over and over again, mm-hmm. in the middle of his own territory. Yeah. And this is a story about Mananan. Yeah, I know. And then you get to <sighs> a lot of the content. I'm losing my favourite story. And I'm losing it to my favourite character. Exactly. <laughs> but it's, it's more than that. It's the content of Cormac's journey. All those allegories, those visions that he has along the way about the lords that are burning up their resources too quickly and so on. And even when he gets to the other world house... All the true stories. It's all about giving true judgments. There's even... Balance and obligation. Yeah. There's even a story about the process of distraint, for goodness sake, a legal process. Everything in that points to Mither as a judge and Cormac learning about true judgment. And supporting him. 
with the cup exactly. of true judgment. I mean, that is exactly what Mither does. Yeah, it's what you would expect. And well, there's even something else that's just occurred to me. <laughs> what does he do? He he goes off with with um, Cormac's wife. Yeah. He's an, it's another elopement. He takes his wife away to the land of promise, and, or, or in this case, to his own land. Yeah, and that's what actually pushes Cormac into going on the journey. Well, how could it not be? I, I wasn't even thinking. I know, you know yeah. you go, but he even pinches his wife and he takes it. I would say, I'll take your wife to yeah. the land of promise. And Cormac goes, no, I'm coming to get her back. Mm. But only Mither would do that. I think his wife is called Ethna. Oh, you're joking. I've never put the name in. I think you're right. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, man and on. Bye bye. You lose. That is really strange, isn't yeah. it? Because that's a well-known story of man and on. Yeah, I know. Well, it's it's yeah, it's the big man and on story in many ways. Yeah, and it seems, uh, uh, yeah, I think he seems to have acquired the story mm-hmm. in the same way as he acquires the man and on acquires the story of Oingus and the Brew yeah. in the House of Two Pails. Yeah. He's doing all the things that Mither traditionally does. Yeah, this is quite a journey. I feel as though I've been lost in the uh, in the magic mist. List. Yeah. <laughs> well, it does occur to me that if the story of Cormac's cup is, if you like, originally a story of Mither rather than a story of Mananon, it does make some sense of the other world woman that Cormac meets because she says that she has these seven cows and that they give perpetual milk that is enough food oh, yeah. for everyone in the other world. If it's Mither, then she would be an Aideen type, you know, and we have all of this association, the Aideens and the Ethnas and their and the milk, milk yeah. and the vessels yeah. and the distribution of drink. They are it's always all there. connected with, with Mither, aren't they? Yeah. That's the female side of Mither. Exactly. And in fact, in the, in the story of Cormac, he recognises the man and all mither because of his wife. Yeah, and you once again, you've got this sense of fair distribution mm. allows for the prosperity yes. and enough food for everyone. Exactly, yeah. So it? if you've got the order yeah. and you've got the economic structure in yeah, place, yeah, yeah, yeah. then there will be prosperity, yeah. which is always represented by the flowing of milk. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bit it's a bit scary really because it's so obvious when you I know, start doing I know. this. Yeah. I, if we go back to that other story, the house of the two pairs. Mm. Now I know there is no other story where Mither allocates she mounds. Yeah. You've only got that where it's said to be man and arm. Yeah. But Mither is the king of the she mm. and we know that the story of the brew, that was his story in the exactly, first place. Yeah. And much earlier. Mm. But if Mither is as he is, about fairness and distribution mm. and what is owed is due, mm. then of course he would be the one who would be asked in to allocate mm. the, the, the proper places for the she in a fair and organised manner. Yeah. It's exactly what he would do. Yeah, it is. But I think the real giveaway in that Altum Tigadal Vether is this almost seemingly insignificant comment about Mananon's role after all this distribution of the she's. And all his feudal overlordship. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it does say that he should preside over every wedding. Yeah, now, when I first saw that, I was Mm. thinking of Dwight of Signora. I think we mentioned that. We did, yeah. But if you, when you start to think Mither and Mm. put Mither into that place, well, what do you expect? Yeah. Because he's always connected with elopements. Yeah, love triangles here, there, and (laughs) everywhere. And there's that sort of sense that, um, a sense of danger about Mm. Mither. That if you don't do the right thing at the wedding, if yeah. everything isn't as it should do, mm. he might turn up and pinch the bride. Yeah. 
And interestingly enough, when you think of, shall we say, modern fairy law, yeah. this abducted wife, people yeah. being taken away to fairyland, yeah. continues on till comparatively yeah. modern times. Yeah. It's still this sense of danger. It's exactly. still there from the king of the sheep, yeah. from the fairy king. Mm. Um, and I find that it's interesting that it's still, the hints of it are still there yeah. Yeah. to certainly the 19th century, yeah. at least. Yeah. Um, yes, it looks like Mither. I think so. And again, it's the sense that he, his places are under the ground mm. or in the she mounds. Yeah. And this connects up with this um, this other world. Yeah, the one that's on the mainland. Underground or that you get to through a mist. Exactly, yeah. No, it's it's and that's at the centre, that's the yeah. heart of Ireland, yeah. where Mither is. Exactly. I'm probably over-egging the pudding now. Well, it's just, um, <laughs> yeah. It's really interesting. Mm. Well... There is another story that's usually given to Mananon, which I think might also refer to Mither, and that's the Cairnach Quail Reevok. I think that's the only one left. I know. <laughs> but there he is, going around the country, using all that wonderful verbal trickery. And the Indian rope trick. And the wonderful Indian rope trick, of course. Not only that, but he keeps on challenging local leaders, saying, yes, I'll give you my help as long as you treat me fairly, as yeah, long as you're yeah. no longer mean. There's that hospitality there yeah, the, again. You know, the, you know, the man he cures. Yeah. He acts as physician. But there's also when he helps the man who's going to fight down a monster. Yeah. And yeah. he says, I'll work for you. Yeah. If you treat me completely fairly. Exactly. Now, I know this is a frequent uh, motif. Yeah. But it's very specific here. You yeah. know, the other thing that I'm beginning to think now, what about the names? We saw yeah. this in the guesting of Athenia. Yeah. And now here he is all the way through that story. Yeah. Giving all these different names, which and means he can never be satirised. He can never be caught up with. You know, he's always immune to, if you like, human retribution. It is a late story. It is. And certainly it was considered to be Malanan, I think, at that late stage. Oh, yeah. But even that uh, only happens in a postscript and only in one of the manuscript yeah. versions. So even its attribution to Malanan is shaky, I would say. Yeah, I, I mean, but it's using the attributes, mm. not of Malanan, no. but of Miver. Yeah. Afraid so. Ouch. <laughs> Right. So, what happened? It, it, it seems Mananan goes on being remembered more and more. Yeah. And gets more and more popular. And Mither just goes on and on being forgotten more and more. Yeah. I mean, once you start to kind of look at the stories with this idea, it starts to look deliberate. It starts to look as though Mither is being written out or elbowed out of the stories and the evidence is repeatedly there i mean we've got that whole bit the end of mither and 18 where the she mounds are being dug up yeah we commented on that yeah and we talked about that you know there was tension between the mortal mm. and immortal worlds mm. yet it's not that is it it's deliberately focused on mither it really is and i mean even the fact that it is specifically it's she or heaven Slevenamon and Breleth, those are the places most crucially associated with Mither. And they over are and over specifically again. dug up at the end of his own major of his story. story. Yeah, exactly. And then, of course, Breleth itself. I mean, Breleth is very interesting. Mm. There's nothing of archaeological note actually on the hill. Mm. But the hill, of course, of Ardar is still very much there and it's still quite important. Yeah. 
And yet there is another story, isn't there, where Mananan himself is credited with the destruction of the place. Yeah, and again, this is one of those, if you like, alternate endings to Mither and Aideen that we sort of we lost over a bit. Because yeah. it didn't seem relevant to the story then. At the time, no, exactly. And there's this bit of poetry that's quoted which says that Mananan killed both Fuamnuk and Mither's grandson, Sigfal, and that what he did was burned the hill of Breleth and burned Sigfal and Fuamnuk to mm-hmm. death. And I think there's even a second story that says, but some say that's not true, and it's always Mananon who is doing the destroying of Breleth or destroying Mither's family. Mm. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, and the, the, I now see the idea that of all the people who could have been chosen mm. to do that, it's mm. Mananon yeah. who doesn't even live here. Yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, it, it, he, he, it, it just why it could have mm. been anyone, mm. but it's, it's Mananon who yeah. does it. Yeah. I mean, the theme of the digging up the mounds isn't just found there, mm. because, I mean, we've looked nearer more than yes. once, and that's all about this danger. Yeah. There's ob- We've all always talked about there was a, obviously at some point the tension yeah. that the mounds were considered to be dangerous, yeah. and to this day, you know, going near the Ferry Mounds yeah. is, you know, or at least, till a few years ago yeah. at least, it was still current. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I, I know somebody who used to tell me uh, that she used to run past it every day on the way to school because yeah. she was afraid to stop there. Yeah, yeah. You know, and this so it's all within living memory. Oh, yeah. They were considered to be dangerous. Oh, yeah, absolutely. But digging them up is in the stories. Yeah. But there is another story which very significantly has that theme of the digging up of the she mounds, And that is a story of Dun, the son of Mither. And in this story, everyone seems to be ganging up on Dunn, but with the specific aim of closing down his she Now, I mean, this is a story I think we almost missed because mm. it's a Fenian story. Yeah. And it sort of doesn't belong to that whole epic. No, it doesn't belong strain. to that. It belongs early. to a different set of stories. It does, yeah. And it, 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 but then you suddenly realise that it is actually about this. Yeah. Right, so the story begins up on Tory Island. Which is right off the north coast of the country. It's off Donegal. Ballors Island. Yes, it is, yeah. <laughs> it's about as far north as you can go. Yeah. And, of course, Finn and his men are all hunting as usual. When yes. all of a sudden they startle a fawn, and as usual, if there's a fawn, they follow it. Yeah. Or a deer or anything else. Yeah. They'll hunt anything that moves. Absolutely. And it's interesting because with the Fenian stories, uh, a deer is always a bit like an apple branch. <laughs> So it sort of makes sense. Yeah, yeah. You know, if they follow a deer, it's going to take them into the other world. It is, yeah, yeah. And it's... in this case, it takes them all the way down to Tipperary, which is, you I know... I want to know how they get off the island chasing the deer. <laughs> well, I reckon they just didn't notice. They just they saw the running. deer and ran. <laughs> Straight across the water. Yeah. <laughs> they don't need far or anything. They just yeah. run across the water. Yeah. And well, anyway, they once they get down to Tipperary, as usual, the weather's not that good. No. And they find themselves in the most awful winter storm yeah it's howling a gale and it's freezing it's down. you know either raining or snowing yeah and finn's standing around going oh for goodness sake this is horrible this is the worst weather i've yeah. ever encountered <laughs> i'm cold i'm wet i'm freezing yeah do something <laughs> well they then notice this uh, house with lit up windows yes and uh, they seem very aware that this is they're now in another world house. yeah yeah and so finn being really brave sends quilter off to deal with yeah. it yeah <laughs> you go and find out what's in that house 
yeah, we'll stay yeah. here in the cold. When you know it's safe, come and get us. Yeah. Well, he goes into the house and it's absolutely amazing. Yeah. You even the crockery is it's crazy. Oh, there's a lot of very <laughs> fancy crockery in this place. <laughs> and there's a yellow haired girl and she's serving all oh, that wonderful phrase again, the newest of every food and the oldest of every drink. Yeah. I really yeah. like that. It's phrase. a good one, yeah. Wonderful storyteller's phrase. Yeah. There's also twenty-eight well-armed men plus their leader mm. and it turns out that these are all sons of Mither mm. well Mither of the yellow hair as he's often called yes and there's also who's the woman their mother is said to it's be it's their mother yeah their mother right. is said to be Finn's coive so I'm trying the, to remember yeah the fair shape fair is, and shape. is she the daughter of the king of Scotland or something yeah Munnet uh, which is it says in this story it's to the east but it's usually in Scotland yeah well at this point Creature who's Obviously, overall, suddenly realises he left the rest of them out in the cold. Yeah. <laughs> so he goes out and goes, that took a long time. Yeah. Isn't it about time you remembered us? And he says, yeah, come in, everything's fine. Yeah. So they all go in and get warm. Yes. Now, at this point, they find out what's wrong yeah. and why they've been brought there. And, and Don, the son of Mither, explains that they've got a real problem, that both Derek who is the son of the Dagda here again. But he's now been made king, and he is mm. king in quite a lot of the stories. He is. The latest stories, yeah, yeah, including yeah. the Children of Turin. Exactly, yeah. He's the alternative late yeah. king. Yeah, of and of course he was co-king with Malanon in the Altar and Tigat of Which is why it's a late and alternative yeah. story. Yeah. yeah, But anyway, he's not particularly pleasant in this story. No. Because he's decided that he's now an overlord. Yeah. And he's asking for hostages from all the different shes and yeah. all the different houses. Yeah, so it's interesting that now the Dadanon don't seem to be like one people. There does seem to be a dominant force with mm -hmm. both Derek at the head and that the others have to be then subject to it. And not happy either. No. You know, they're taking hostages. Yeah. They don't trust each other no, in no. this story. No. It's even worse because both Derek says to Mither, unless you hand over your sons mm. as hostages, all of them, mm. we will wall up your dwelling place. We, in other words, will close up your mound. Yeah. So once again, this is Breleth being destroyed. And, and they have to leave Breleth. And mm. in fact, the sons have found a secret hidden place down in Schlieff the Mug. Yeah. Which we know was one of the other Mither, Mither places. Place, yeah. And then um, the men of the Dadanan come and fight us mm. every year. On one day a year, they come and fight us. Yeah. And there's not many of us left anymore. Mm. A lot of us have been killed. Yeah. We really need help to fight them. Yeah. So we've called upon the best heroes yes. of Ireland to come and fight them. And what a surprise, they're going to show up tomorrow. Yes, it's always tomorrow. <laughs> That's why they call yeah. them down there. Yeah. Um, now, the list of who is actually fighting yeah. is possibly worth breaking the story for. Yeah, there's a few interesting ones in there, all right. I mean, there's plenty which are names that wouldn't really mean anything, but there's also plenty that really do. Of course, there's both of Derek. And his seven sons. His seven sons. Then there's Oingus O, the son of the Dagda. With seven sons. With his seven sons. And then we there's go Finvar on... with 17 oh, sons. Oh, yeah. And then there's... Is there a Lear then with se 27 sons? And several Dons. Yes, there's a, at least two Don of Dons. the Island, Don of the Vat. Yeah. <laughs> And what was it you were going on about? A pair of glasses? Yeah, no. <laughs> Two people called glass. <laughs> well, it says a pair of glasses. Yes, yes. In the text, yeah. <laughs> so it's the king of, um, you know, Con from the, who's the king of Molard. Yeah, and there's the children of the Morrigan with 26 woman warriors. Benether, which is Hoth. With yeah. 10 score and 10. Yeah. But what's interesting is they're all there with sons or yeah. daughters. But they're also kind of TDD, TNG. 
<laughs> that sounds good. <laughs> it's the, the next generation, if you like, the of the Dunnans. The next generation. Exactly. And it is, too. It is. You know, it's, it's the sons and their sons. Exactly, yeah. And, and after all, they're not fighting Mither. No. They're fighting Mither's the children son. of Mither. Yeah, exactly. You get the feeling is they're no longer of that great high status. Mm. These are now almost medieval fairy battles. Yeah, absolutely. It is a different quality, but yeah. it's still the same people. Mm. Well, anyway, the next day they turn up, mm. and so oh, Finn and his men are ready, and they fight. And then they fight, and yes. then they fight some more. Yes. And then they go on fighting. Yes. <laughs> and they go on fighting till they've killed quite a lot of people, but mm. they're also quite badly wounded yes. themselves. Yeah. So in the end, Finn's men turned around to, to Finn and go, look, find us a doctor. Yes, someone to patch us up. <laughs> well, they look around for the best doctor possible, mm. and the best physician is one of the Dodonan physicians. Yes. Now, what's his name? His name is Livra. His name is Livra, which kind of means Herbie. <laughs> so herby yeah someone of herbs uh, but he is said to have a cloak made of the wool of seven sheep that has all these healing herbs woven into it now i find that interesting isn't it yeah i mean it's it really is this memory of the kind of aravid and of me and her cloak the cloak with all the herbs laid yeah. out on it and what's more after they kidnap this enemy physician they don't yeah, they go and put his hand on his shoulder and he goes Can yeah I go? and he goes, you're no. gonna you're coming with us mate <laughs> But they don't bring him straight to Schlieflemann. They bring him to Slonia, to Slain. And I think that this is a memory of the well in Moitura, mm, was the well yeah. of Slonia, which is where all of the physicians were casting their herbs into it so that people could And be because healed. they're not quite sure why they're at Slain, yeah. they just know that they have to get this name in yeah. it somewhere, yeah. uh, that you get this little bit of the story where they can see what's happening, mm. but they can't be seen. Yeah. And the uh, the two of Fionn's men, yeah. men who go and get the, the physician, yeah, they overhear that mm. what's happened to Finn? He's yeah. gone. We've lost him. Mm. Shall we appoint another leader of the mm. Finn? No, there's no one better than Finn. Yeah. We'll wait a little longer. Yeah, yeah. So that's the way they cover this getting to slain for some exactly. reason. Exactly. Yes. For some yeah. reason. And uh, anyway, then they go back. They all yeah. get better, and yeah. then they fight a lot more. <laughs> And they eventually win. Of course they do. <laughs> and as proof of their victory, it says then that the the Fianna take two of the Dallin hostages to the house of uh, Don, son of Mither. So, you know, it's uh, a switching around of power. It's one of the great Fianna stories. Yes. It is. And they're always slightly hilariously yeah. wry and off kilter yeah. and, and great fun. And there's yeah. an awful lot of fighting. Yeah. Uh, but it doesn't end in tears. It just usually ends in death and victory and well, everybody yes. has a really good time. Yes. But, you know, the, the reason <laughs> that... sounds a bit of a contradiction. It does. But the reason that this is so important to what we're saying is that here we have that walling up of the mounds again, mm -hmm. that destruction specifically of Mither's she. It's spe specifically aimed at Mither, that it's his place of Breleth will mm. be destroyed and that and All now his children will be taken. Yeah, and Schlievenmann as well. Yeah, his other place. Yeah, and I think it just adds the evidence to that the memory of the destruction of the place of Mither and yeah. the story of Mither yeah. is still sort of remembered. Yeah. Now, Malanon, on the other hand, he's very much from out there. He is an exotic visitor and he it seems like he can be called in when needed almost as a, a sort mm. of a neutral arbiter but he's not one of us um but he he does have that fairy mist the faith field but the faith field is sometimes sea mist in this case isn't it it is and it's sometimes imagined as a cloak it's also his cloak of visibility and i sort of has, have this image of Mananon kind of 
just opening the cloak to reveal a bit of mystery, some exotic trinket. This sort of image of the revelation mm-hmm. and particularly going out to sea to try and have a mystery revealed. That fits and wonder. Yeah, and that fits in with that kind of Christian idea of seeking revelation and all those the Christian Imrava. It makes a lot of sense to have Mananon sort of presiding over that. Yes, he becomes almost this explains why in the end mm. in Man in the Isle of Man he can become a sort of saint figure. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. The, the, the protector of the island. Exactly, with that mist or that cloak. So mm. he can do both. But from an Irish point of view, I think that makes him safe. That the outside, out the stranger, we can keep him out there. That's fine. You're allowed he to be weird magic, if you're following. magic's out there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You see, if you, again, if you compare him to Mither, if mm. Mither, Mither as a judge mm. has to, by his very nature, insist on Coir. Yeah. The old order. Yeah. Old idea of law and order. Mm. Yeah. They belong to him. Yeah. Which would make him a very dangerous challenge to a post-Norman Ireland. Yeah, Absolutely. It's odd. I've had this feeling for a long time now that Mither was far more important ever since we did Mither and Aidan. Oh, yeah. And I began to feel that, hang on, where's, where are his stories? Yes. It's always where are his stories. I'm never quite sure why he's not in Moitora. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think we can give any opinion on that at all. Well, except that we found that the story of Moitora was so really local to this corner of the country, that it really is just that corner of Sligo Donegal. I suppose that's true. It's because I, I, I spend such a lot of time in Longford. Yeah. I think of that as local as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. to us, it's the same area. It is. But, but it's, actually, it's a different province. It is a different province, and it's kind of different geographically as well. Mm. It's not this kind of coastal, hilly area. Um, um, it is flat midlands. It's part of the old province of It is of the Meath. heartlands. Yeah, it, it is. It is the heartlands. Mm. But I've just had a feeling for a long time mm. that there was something missing. Oh, yeah, yeah. And Mither is what's missing. Yeah. I, Mither, I suppose he really is the hidden centre. Mm. We talk about the hidden centre of Ireland and the hidden Meath. Yeah, yeah. And he is the, the heart of the hidden centre. Yeah, yeah. And that way there's Arda you know, there isn't anything very visible on the outside, and even in archaeological terms. No, there you was know? A, there's a ring fort at the base mm. of it, which is not really there anymore. Yeah. Um, St Mel's Cathedral was very early placed yeah. on that site. Yeah. And in fact, the fact that there was an important cathedral placed there so yeah. early, yeah. I find interesting. It does signify, yeah. But that the hill still is known as, mm. uh, you know, the tree-covered hill of Ardal, which yeah. actually doesn't have many trees on mm. it. Mm. But it's, it's still a special place, yeah. but there's nothing specifically there. Mither has this kind of hidden or secret side to him. We've seen that he can shape the land. It's so interesting that he cannot be seen to do it. There's that really curious bit in Mither and Aideen where it talks about how he is going to build a causeway. Yeah, and he knows that this is going to be an incredibly difficult task. Yes. He, it's almost more than he can take yeah. on. Yeah, but he insists that all of the people of Ireland have to stay inside all night. They're not allowed to look out. They're not allowed to see them doing the work. Mm. So there is this kind of sense in which he's always there as long as you don't look at him. Mm. You know? Mm. It all feels hugely significant, mm. but this is as far as we can get this at This is as moment. much as we can get at yeah, yeah. And that's more than I was hoping for. I know, yeah. It, it's been... Really quite surprising how much there is of Mither. More yeah. than I thought as well. And how the stories of Mananan, who I was expecting, you know, yeah. the, the Mananan who's so well known. Yeah. And suddenly on the mainland, and I'm talking about on the mainland, yeah. his stories seem to vanish in the mist, as yeah. I keep saying. So what about Mananan? 
If you go right back to episode one of this when series, we were, yeah, which was a long time ago, <laughs> when we were first looking at Imrov Brand, yeah, and at the time we were slightly sort of disturbed mm. about the way Mananan seemed to appear as this almost creator god figure, yeah, incarnating a savior child, yeah, and this certainly had upset the monks, yeah, and we were going, hang on, there aren't any gods, yeah. Do you think that this is what made him such an ideal candidate mm. for this process of normalisation? I think so. I think it is. And I think that might this be... This is pure what... speculation. It is. But it might be why Mananon's role in Ultram Ticket of Feather is so odd. Where on the one hand, he is this overlord, but on the other hand, he seems to be demonised. Sort of, he's a little bit of one, a little bit of the so other. So it's kind of a misreading mm. of the prophecy from mm. Imrov Bran. In a way, yeah. Yeah, I would say so. And as we pointed out at the time, so much of the Irish material, it survives in this very complete way. It wasn't necessarily doctored or Christianized. That even if there was a Christian scribe writing a story such as the Emerald of Brown, the most they would do is put in an interpolation or a gloss. Mm. It's so rare to find a story like Ultram Tigathoth Ether, which seems to be very deliberately and blatantly changed. And blatantly changed in order to erase or demonise one tradition in favour of a new yeah, world This is what was so surprising, vision. because yeah. it just doesn't happen. Mm. Even in Imrov Bran, yeah. which is a challenge, yeah. they're going, well, it probably means God. Yeah, yeah. Or, this probably, probably means Jesus. To Jesus. Yeah, yeah. You know, but they certainly don't change that very, very early poetry. No, absolutely not, because the poem itself is complete. So I think this is why we've kind of made a lot of the Ultram Tigger the Feather, is because it really is unusual. This is a post-Norman phenomenon. I really think it is. I think it is very clearly post-Norman. And I mean, after all... The Norman culture was so different to the Irish. It was so top-down, feudal, power rested with individuals rather and than with groups. very much supported by a centralised Roman church. Yeah, exactly. It's so different from, say, Colum Kill. Yeah, oh, it really and is. the attitudes are completely different and the yes. association and the connection with the land. Yeah. And it seems as though that the whole story of Mither mm. has had a completely different journey. Oh, yeah. And, and we have to say that likely, mm. I know it's speculation, but many of the stories attributed to Mananon, like even Cormac's cup, yeah. may have at least belonged to Mither, mm. or at least belonged to that which had been Mither. Yeah, yeah. And as for Mither himself, oh goodness me, I mean his man's dung up and devalued, he just seems to have dwindled to become a dangerous and unpredictable king of the fairies. Mm. I don't know, generous gifts would turn to moss and leaves in the morning. Yeah. I find it very sad. It is sad. But on the other hand, Mananon is still going strong and he has his rightful place as this protector and patron of the Isle of Man, which is, I think, where he originated mm. and probably where he is most himself. And I shall continue to look for Mither and the Beast. Yeah. Thank you for listening to... Ogilaf Nanagus, Conversations about Irish mythology with the story archaeologists Chris Thompson and Isolde Carmody. For more information or to subscribe, please visit www.storyarchaeology.com. You can get in touch via email on the storyarchaeologists at gmail.com.